Church, Charlotte. If you're joining us online, thank you for doing so. Let the Spirit of the Lord move wherever you are. When we pray, you pray. When we praise, you praise. Uh, wherever you are, you can be a part of this service. How many of you know that God has been good to us all week long? How many of you feel blessed today in your spirit? Do you feel blessed? I hope that you have a sense of God's overwhelming goodness in your life. I hope that you are you are placing him first. I, I want to commend you. You're starting the week out right. This is the tradition of Christians from the beginning of the church. We take the first day of the week and we go to the house of the Lord and we join together with other believers and we turn our hearts toward God and we place him at the forefront of our life. Uh, this is the right way to start your week off. Can I have a big amen? Uh, I, as as a, a longtime church goer, as a longtime believer, I have noticed, as I'm sure you have too, the difference that church makes in every part of our life when we make it a part of our uh, our, our spiritual journey. Um, none of us are complete in ourselves, and we were all designed to do life, ministry, purpose, giving, everything. We were designed to do that with other people. And if you want a, 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 a spiritually poor life, then isolate yourself spiritually. If you want a spiritually rich life, then to connect with other believers and let them be a part of your spiritual growth. Amen. So my theme here today is finding what you are looking for. Finding what you are looking for. I'm going to refer you to a few scriptures and a few uh, stories that are found in the word of the Lord as I as I progress here. But before I, I dive in, I want to make you aware of our goal here at First Church to provide almost, almost every day, we provide some type of an opportunity where you can connect with other believers and you can join your faith uh, one with another with other believers. We have, of course, our services on Sunday. There are four services that happen here on this campus on Sunday. We have two English services, 9, uh, 15, and 11 a.m. There is a service in Spanish that happens at 2 o'clock. There is a service in French that happens at 2 o'clock across in the Life Center. So we have four campus services here every Sunday, plus um, most of the time we have uh, specialized training classes that are happening after the service across in the Life Center. Now, uh, every Tuesday night, we have a remote gathering Bible study that is led uh, by uh, Pastor Lisa, and that is primarily focused to uh, women's ministry. Wednesday night, we have a uh, all-church Bible study that allows you to log into it remote. Very simple. You can go to the website, follow the link, and many of you get the text to follow that link. On Thursday night, we have a discipleship connection um, uh, gathering that happens remotely. Pastor Don leads that. Uh, and on most Friday nights, we have small groups of some type that are gathering around the city. Um, and so on Saturday, there's almost always something here happening at the church getting ready for the weekend. The point is, is we want to make you rich in spiritual opportunity. Uh, that is the goal. That is the purpose. Uh, I want to read one passage of Scripture. This is uh, chapter number one of the Gospel of John. I'll just read it, verse number 35, for time's sake. Chapter number one, verse number 35. And the next day, again, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as Jesus walked by and said... Everybody say this with me. Behold the Lamb of God. So this is a profound moment of clarity, spiritual and prophetic clarity. The two disciples who are there with John the Baptist, they hear John the Baptist say this. Behold the Lamb of God. And the Bible says they follow Jesus. Verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? If you look at that in other translations, you'll see slightly 
slightly different uh, variations on these words. One of them says, whom are you seeking? They, they reply to him, rabbi, which of course means teacher. Uh, what, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. Uh, this question, which in the text reads conversationally, is more than just conversation because it is the fundamental issue that strikes to the heart of the human condition. What are you seeking? What are you uh, seeking? Um, it is natural for us to live our lives with a certain amount of restlessness. I, I don't know if um, you're at a stage of your life where you are inclined to, to see this or if you're so overwhelmed with current obligations that you don't have time uh, for restlessness. But uh, most of our life goes some version of this where we have a goal, we work toward that goal, we achieve that goal, and from that place of accomplishment, we go through a time of increasing comfort. And then uh, restlessness will kind of begin within the human condition, and we'll start looking for what is next. We'll start seeking uh, the next challenge. What is the next goal? What is the next plan? Uh, if you're a business-oriented uh, person, it may be a business-oriented goal. If you have a technical career, it may be a technical goal within that career. Uh, if you're transitioning between education and the workplace or for some of you from the workplace back to education, you have this sense of what is next. It's very natural and normal for us to live with this, this almost this sense of restlessness. The rock band U2 uh, made a famous song uh, and that plaintiff sound in that song where they sing out, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And that song resonated with the state of so many people. Uh, here you have this rock band, and they used to be unknown, uh, poor, and desperate for a place to perform. And now they're famous, and now they're rich, and now they have crowds following their tour bus. But here's the reality. They still haven't found what they're looking for. I don't know if you've ever had much opportunity in your life to get to know someone who was pretty famous. It's, it's, uh, truthfully, it's hard to get to know someone who is really famous because once someone kind of strikes it into fame, they immediately uh, isolate themselves. They have to protect themselves uh, to get any peace. And so it is uh, that you'll find, however, if you've ever been blessed, uh, not blessed, wrong word, but if you've ever had the opportunity to get to know someone who was pretty famous, one thing you realize is how that fame seemed to change everything and at the same time change nothing. In other words, if you were a worrier, you will still be a worrier. You're just a famous worrier. <laughs> if you had problem of some sort, whether relationship or addiction, uh, you still have that problem. It's just now the circumstances of the problem change, but not the problem. This can be very instructful to someone. It helps you see through the lie of fame, where if you're not careful, there's a certain immaturity in our hearts that we think, if I were famous, then I would be happy. Well, maybe you'll get a chance to know some people who are, you know, about as famous as you get a chance to know, and you'll find out they are far from, uh, how shall we say, living in a place of perfect peace and contentment. So it is with, so it is with people who are really wealthy. Uh, it can be very instructive to get to know someone who is is quite wealthy because you realize you 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 see that. Uh, Although they have a different set of numbers in their bank account, say, uh, oftentimes there is still this striving within them. And if they were a worrier before, uh, before they worried about thousands and now they worry about millions, but they are who they are, it's just the outside, the contextual reality has changed. Now, hard to get to know them because as soon as they uh, arrive at some level of real wealth, they now are a target for people. People and everybody wants something from them, and so the protection goes up. And so uh, that's a fast way of saying if you want to be 
um, isolated, lonely, be famous or rich, <laughs> uh, or really famous or really rich, I should say, um, to be fair. Uh, but I want you to see how the heart is what sets the conditions for whether you are at peace or whether you are at distress. Do you see? There is something within us that if we're, if, if we're not in some way wise to it, if we're not insightful to it, it will continually stir a restlessness and you always will pin your happiness on a possession in your future, not a responsibility in your present. That was some fine preaching. I didn't get any amen from my wife's side of the church, but that was some fine preaching right there. I want you to see happiness is not some possession in your future. It's a responsibility in your present. God's been good to you. You ought to live that way. God has promised you a solution to your sins. You ought to live that way. God has promised you eternal life and spiritual renewal. You ought to live that way. You ought to let the joy of the Lord begin to work in your life. You need to speak to yourself and, you, and say to yourself, all right, you, you, you really don't have reason to feel the way you feel. God has been good. Can someone give God some praise in this house here today? So this restlessness is a real thing, and I, I want to say this, and I want to say it carefully because uh, it applies to all of us, and so I don't want anyone to feel like I'm beating you up when I say this, but at the same time, I want to say it directly to you, <laughs> and it goes like this. Um, just because we become religious people does not mean that we do not wrestle in our spirit and in our heart with desiring things that are not of God. Desiring things that are not of the kingdom of God. Desiring things that are bad for us. Longing for things that are of this world and are not eternal in their nature. And so if I am not letting my heart be renewed by the presence of God, I will become another person who lives by the sources and standards of this world and puts off the kingdom of heaven as a type of religious ideal that we talk about on Sunday, but we don't even try to live that way. God save us from that kind of form of godliness and let us have within us a desire for the things of God, an overwhelming desire for the things of God, a life that God would bless. I'm not just wanting any type of blessing. I want a life that God would bless. I want my choices to testify of my creator. Can I have some agreement in this house here today? I want my choices to give glory to God so people who are confused in the way can look at the peace that's in me and the rest that's in me and think to themselves, I need what they've got. I, I need whatever it is they've got. That's what I need. The ultimate testimony to the people who know us or how we live when we face the same things that make other people become filled with fear. Believers face them differently. Believers live and express them differently. Uh, uh, so help us God. <laughs> uh, the life and the testimony of faith, the ability to face the same fear that others face and say, I place my life in the hands of God. I trust him. He knows the way that I take. He will bring me through. He has not begun something in me that he cannot finish. I want to be hungry for God, not just religious. <laughs> Now, to be uh, honest with you, uh, there is within the, the life that we are seeking to live, there is this tension. The Bible takes uh, care to point this out multiple places, and that is this tension between the things that represent law and rule and doctrine and foundation and, and the like, um, and uh, the fluidity, the flowing, uh, the new thing that God does in the Spirit. There is this tension uh, between uh, law and uh, spirit, and uh, we are shown both in the scripture, and we, as people trying to please God, we all of us live between 
uh, the fixed and the final and the new and the fluid. Uh, let me say it this way. We all live between foundations of the word of God and the new thing that God does among us as the spirit moves like a wind, cannot be predicted, cannot be corralled, but God does a new and wonderful thing. Remember that all of the prophecies in the Bible about the latter rain have to do with God doing a new thing. That's why we are taught to move in the same manner. We're not fixed. We're not final, but we have foundations that are fixed, but we have a heart that is open to the moving of the Spirit, that which is like a wind blowing among us. It is like you have good Pharisees and they revere the law, but they have to reject Jesus because they've never seen anyone like him before. And because it's a new thing, because it's a different thing, they can only condemn what they cannot look back and see. I want to be a church where we have foundations, yes, but we're hungry for God to do something he's never done before. We have foundations, yes. Uh, we look to those foundations, but at the same time, I want God to break down the wall. Remember the prayer, I believe it was Isaiah. He said, oh, that thou wouldest rend the sky. Uh, oh, that thou wouldest just tear it apart as though it were a parchment and come down to where we are. I wonder if anybody feels like that here in your life. God, I would like you to break into my world. In Jesus' name. Uh, all of us, all of us have seen how uh, the seasons of our life change. The, the seasons of your 20s, uh, what feels like to be in your 20s will feel very different uh, than your 30s. That's a lot of times a big jump, particularly if you've had children. Now, if you haven't had children, it may not feel so big, but uh, the life before children and the life after children, dearly beloved, those are two different lives. <laughs> I have any parents who know what I'm talking about. Uh, I haven't got to the point where the children are going to school. I feel like that's a different life, too. I thank my wife. That's why she buys a shotgun every year. She's waiting for those kids to go to school. No, I'm just having fun. Uh, I, I, I sense the seasons in my life. I know you feel the seasons uh, in your life. Uh, and, and through all the seasons, if we cannot retain a hunger for God, then we will be swayed more by the context of our life, the circumstances of our life, uh, rather than the consistent theme like a river that flows through our life that says, I'm hungry for God. I'm hungry for God. Lord, we, in all the seasons of our life, we are hungry for you. We want to always have a continuity, Lord, that always brings us back to a desire to know you. I can't just be a preacher and have an image before men, God. I have to be desirous of your work to be done and your will to be done. We can't just come on Sundays and think that's the same thing as pursuing you in our life, oh God. We want a hunger to live within us, the hunger to know you, to walk with you. And can some church folks say amen? Uh, I have preached several times from uh, the story of Samuel coming of age as a young man, and uh, I, I think uh, about this story a good bit. I think all of us have certain Bible stories that they they travel with us on our journey, and we go back to them, and this is one of those stories that travels with me, uh, because there is a tremendous transition that's happening um, at multiple levels in uh, the nation of Israel. They are moving from... Uh, 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 a rulership led by judges that are anointed of God. They're moving from that to the beginning of the monarchy. They're, they're moving from that to having a royalty, a, a king among them. Uh, that's a big transition. There, there's a transition from the house of Levi, excuse me, from Eli, uh, to another uh, season of leadership 
uh, in the in the the worship of God and in the sacraments of the tabernacle. Uh, at the same time, there's another transition where the anointing, which has been at Shiloh, is now going to move into a season of being lost. God wasn't lost; the people were lost. But this season of lost years that will be in effect until uh, David brings the ark home uh, later on in the story. Uh, that's the, what's that? The fourth transition, and then finally the fifth transition that the house of Saul, which is initially anointed to lead the, the nation of Israel, will completely lose their place. They will, Saul will lose his anointing. The transition will go through the hand of Samuel. It will go to anoint the house of David. So we're talking about five levels of transition here. And in the middle of it, you have this young boy who is only in this place because of his mother's passion, his mother's passion uh, for God and his mother's passion. Uh, and she makes a commitment, Lord, if you will give me. She was barren. She And remember, every time that God teaches a lesson of uh, spiritual, the beginning of spiritual covenant, there's always a barren woman in the story to show us. This happens in uh, Abraham, and this happens in Isaac, and this happens in the life of Jacob. Uh, this barren woman to show how without God's miracle work, we do not have spiritual life. Do you see why that barren woman image is always there? So it is with the mother of Samuel, uh, this barren woman. She's, God, I want to bear children. If you will give me a son, I will give that son to you, and he will dwell in your house all the, all the days of his life. And uh, she offers this in desperation, and she does not know that God is looking for for a man in Shiloh because the men who are in Shiloh, the men who should be anointed, the men who should be working for the kingdom of God, they have turned, they have lost their place. And God does not have a man of anointing in Shiloh. And somehow in the ways and the unknowable and explicable paths of God, this touches his heart. And Samuel is born, and that day comes where she takes her little boy. How heartbreaking of a moment it must have been for a mother to take her little boy, and he doesn't want to leave his mother either, you know. And she leads him to that place, and uh, he doesn't want to leave his mama. No little boy wants to leave his mama. And uh, he, you're going to leave me here with these grumpy old guys? You mean I got to? I, I want to live at home where I have free rent. Here I have to work for my place to live. What are you talking about? This can't can't be the will of God. I rebuke it in Jesus' name. Uh, but this is what happens, and he goes there, and he he begins to serve, and uh, the story is filled with beauty and pathos. It's filled with this this sense of of uh, my life for your will, O oh God. Uh, the the discomfort of it, the pain of it, the, the the displeasure of not my will, but Thy will be done. This pathos of my life in Your hands, O oh God. And little Samuel goes, and now he sleeps uh, near where Eli. The high priest is, and Eli and his sons are not where they should be. Uh, for the sons, it's a failure of the lusts of the flesh. Their lusts are as old as human story, and they only have status because of the anointing that has been placed on the family. And instead of using that anointing uh, to uh, fulfill the work of God, they use that anointing to fulfill the lusts of their flesh. In other words, are they in Shiloh? Yes. Yes. But are they seeking to know God? No. So this is a lesson for all of us. Not everybody in Shiloh is seeking to know God. Amen. There's all kind of reasons to be in Shiloh. Yes, the Lord is there. But there's other things that can be done in Shiloh. It's possible for religious people to have a form of godliness but not really be seeking a, a relationship with Almighty God. You can let church represent many things to you. It can be a type of uh, psychological coping. I've seen that happen. It can be a type of kind of in-group, out-group politics. I've seen that happen. It can be about us and not about God. It can be about
about God serving us and not us serving God. At its best, it is people seeking the presence of God. All of us are called to look for a city whose builder and maker is God. I think one of the best examples of this is in the story of Jacob, who you will remember if you remember the story of Jacob. Jacob is a a bit of a con man. Uh, And the reason why he tricks and lies his brother is that he cannot trust God to anoint who should be anointed. It's no secret that Esau is not interested in God whatsoever. But Jacob doesn't believe that God can know the heart of Esau. And Jacob doesn't believe that God can be trusted to put anointing where anointing belongs. And so what is required if you're not going to trust God, well, then you do it your own way, and that is the end of ethics in religion. And so that's what Jacob does. Do you see? Jacob lies, he tricks, he steals, and uh, it's all based on the fact that he can't trust God. How different could the story have been if Jacob could have said, as he sat at the feet of his father, saying, tell me again the story of how Grandpa looked for a city that God had established. Tell me again, how different could it have been if he would have been able to say, I love it, I, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I love it. And if God would like to use me, I am available for God to use. But when we live where we cannot trust God, the first casualty is our own ethics. Uh, We get involved in business deals because we couldn't trust God to lead us to a place of blessing. Not all business deals are bad, but honey, some of them are bad. We get in relationships where ethics suffer because we cannot trust God to bless us. Don't have time to preach that. Moving along. And so uh, Jacob, he, he flees for his life. He flees, he flees, and he's afraid, and he lays his head on the pillow, and he has a spiritual vision, and you know the vision. There's a ladder, heaven and earth, and angels ministering spirits of the Lord, the Bible says, ascending and descending on this ladder that connects heaven and earth. And remember, uh, this is the picture of ministry, uh, the connection between the things of God and the things of this world, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world, uh, the eternal spirit and the mortal that passes. This is the picture of ministry. And uh, he sees and he says when he wakes up, he says, man, truly God was in this place and I knew it not. And so what does he call a place where God was and he was blind to the fact that God was there? He calls it Bethel, the house of God. And then he continues his journey and he reaps a harvest of trickery. Why? He's sown the seeds of trickery. And uh, the Lord will let you go to school in whatever school you want to enroll in. (laughs) And so he uh, spends 14 years serving a con man better than himself. And uh, it's only on his way back from uh, where he is to where God wanted him to be that he comes back to this same place called Bethel. And it is here at Bethel that again God speaks to him and God gets his attention and God wrestles with him. And God, you know the story, it's here again that it happens. And this time he changes the name of it again. And no longer is it Bethel, the house of God. He calls it El Bethel because he's met the God of the house of God. Do you see? Not the house of God, but the God of the house of God. Do you see the difference in somebody who knows where God is and somebody who says, I'm hungry for God in my life? Jesus turns to his disciples and he said, what are you seeking? Yes, yes. Amen. Yes, it's conversational for them, but for us, it is a powerful question that we have to answer in our lives. We answer in all the seasons of our life. We answer in our 20s and we answer in our 30s. We answer in the time where we're in school and we answer in the time where we're starting our careers and we answer when we have little children and we answer when we have teenagers, God help us all. (laughs) And we answer when our kids go to college and we answer when we look at approaching retirement and we answer on Monday and we answer on Friday. What are you seeking? This is the fundamental question of all sojourners. This is the fundamental issue of all people who are seeking a city not made by man, but built by God. God is the founder of this city. That's what I'm looking for. What are we looking for? 
And so Samuel ends up in uh, Shiloh, and there's a lot of trouble in Shiloh. Uh, Hophni and Phinehas, they are using their role to uh, seduce and to commit acts of immorality. They have made a, a house of immorality of the house of the Lord. That's their failure. Uh, Eli's failure is that he will not discipline his own uh, children. He will not act against his, uh, against his own children. We're not talking in this moment just about differences of how to light the candle, say, or we're not talking about interpretational differences. We're not talking about whether or not we use the high-sounding symbol uh, or the loud symbol. <laughs> we're, not, we're not talking about all the stuff that in which there are methods. We're talking about the why. We're talking about the foundation, the moral uh, transgression, and he will not act. And it's almost as though he loses in some manner his fear of the Lord, or let me say it this way, he's made a Lord of his children. It's a terrible thing to uh, live for your children. Um, uh, what do I mean by that? I, I, I know how we use the terminology, and that's not exactly what I mean, but I mean it slightly different. I mean it more in a spiritual context. It's, a, it's an unfair burden to place on your children to make them the purpose of your life. Do you see what I'm saying? It's an unfair pressure upon uh, them. What you have to show them is you striving for uh, the good life, striving for purpose, seeking, and then they know to strive and to seek, do you see? And he has, he has feared the disapproval of his children more than he has feared the disapproval of God. Do you see the problem with that? But in Shiloh, there's all kinds of error going on. Not everybody's seeking God in Shiloh. People can use church for many things. Uh, all across America, there's any number of uh, preachers, uh, teachers, uh, evangelists, tele-evangelists all across America. There's all kinds of different types of people seeking and striving in some way to, to uh, uh, show up at church and be church people, and not all of them are seeking God. And occasionally, you'll hear about a story uh, about how this one fell in immorality, and that one stole money, and uh, that one had a secret uh, addiction, and that one made a mess of this, and that one was abusive. And uh, then the press, because the press really wants to be uh, the judge of society, then they will speak out as though um, all churches are like this church, or all teachers are like this teacher. All There's all kind of things that happen in Shiloh, do you see? Not everybody in Shiloh is seeking the same thing, but I want you to see, while it is true that Hophni and Phinehas are living immoral in Shiloh, and while it is true that Eli is unwilling and unwilling to fear the Lord in Shiloh, there's also a young man who is not in charge, but he's still pure. <laughs> You see, it's hard for us if we don't approve of something to be, you know, uh, involved in it. And so uh, we all of us really want to disapprove of others, uh, and that makes us feel good about ourselves. And it would have been so easy, hear me today, it would have been so easy for uh, young Samuel to say, well, I'm not going to serve in the temple, in this, this tabernacle, because look at Hophni and Phinehas. And, uh, but what he doesn't know is that in the same manner, these individuals aren't looking for God, that God is looking for for individuals. And so if I want to be a part of God's kingdom, there is a path for me to do so. But if I am not hungry, God will raise, God will find somebody who's hungry. I want as a church us to be hungry for the move of God in our life. I want you to be hungry for the move of God in your life. Lord, let your spirit live here. In Jesus' name we pray. And so the word of the Lord comes to uh, Samuel. Actually, before it comes to Samuel, it comes to Eli. Chapter number one, uh, or chapter, let me get my, my, my book here correct. Uh, uh, chapter number, uh, let's see, I'm in 1 Samuel chapter number uh, three. Um, in chapter number two, a man of God, that's what the Bible calls him, a man of God, comes to Samuel and tells him that judgment is coming. This is chapter two, verse number 27. There came a man of God unto Eli and said unto him, thus saith the Lord. And uh, the remainder of that message, that chapter is this message to Eli. And now the Lord gives in chapter number three the same message to Samuel. And uh, it scares Samuel. And uh, Eli knows God has spoken to Samuel. And uh, so he 
he asks Samuel to tell him what God has said, but Samuel can't do it. And uh, he doesn't want to say it. And so uh, Eli insists, and he says, look, son, if, if you won't tell me everything that God has told you to, 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 about me, then I, I, want, I pray the same judgment that's coming on me would come on you, and uh, the same thing would happen. And this is one way to get the attention of, of someone who fears the Lord. And so the Bible tells us that, that Samuel, Samuel told him every single thing that the Lord had told told him to say, and that was this, that the house of Eli was going to be separated from ministry. This current place that they have, uh, they have lived unworthy of it, and it is going to be removed. Now, those of you who enjoy Bible studies and Bible stories, this will unfold over the next two generations. It will happen through that day where the story of Doeg, where uh, sent by Saul, slays a whole, uh, whole uh, community. Co- co- communion full of priests, a whole commune full of priests, slays them all. That, it will happen there. And then finally, uh, the house of uh, Eli will lose all influence and place in the house when they side with the rebellion against King Solomon and Solomon removes them. God prophesied chapter 2, 1 Samuel, but it comes to pass over the next two generations. God will complete what God said he would do. Don't doubt God is is not mocked. God will complete what he said he will do. This is what it's said through Samuel. Uh, I will not purge the iniquity from Eli's house with sacrifice or offering forever. They're going to be removed from ministry and they are no longer going to have this opportunity of ministry. And when uh, young Samuel gives this report to Eli, Eli uh, simply says this, let God, this is chapter 3, verse 18, let God do what seemeth him good. Now, to me, this is just scary thinking about it because who in the name of God can be so flip about judgment? Let God do whatever he wants. Where is the willingness in Eli's heart to fall on his face before God? You'll find many sinners in the Bible, but you'll find them falling on their face before God. You'll find many errors in the Bible, but you'll find people with repentant hearts saying, God, wash me and make me clean. I have sinned, Lord. I have transgressed against you. Wash me and make me clean. None of us are here. None of us in this house today are perfect. Let me say it differently. None of us are even close to perfect. None of you watching are perfect. Not even close to perfect. But one thing, let it be said about all of us. We are people of repentance. Man, I wish I had a better amen than that in this house. We are people of repentance. And when judgment brings word, why would God give you word? Because he wants you to repent. Did anyone hear what I said today? Why would judgment come? Because God wants you to repent. If God just wanted to off you, you would be off in a very short manner. You would be over. The ship would have sunk in a moment when God's done, God's done. But if a prophet comes and says repent, it's because God doesn't want to do it. Uh, All of this time, Samuel is coming of age. The Bible tells us that the word of God came to the people through Samuel. You can read that in chapter number three. First, the word of God was given to Samuel in Shiloh. Here's this place. Supposed to be a place of anointing has turned into a place of debauchery. And yet here, the word of the Lord comes to Samuel. And it is here that the Bible says not one of his words fell to the ground. God uh, was with him and God kept him. And so the Bible then, next phrase says, uh, through him, the word of God came to Israel. Again, remember the ladder between heaven and earth. This this is the picture of ministry. God uh, speaks to Samuel and Samuel filled with God's word, filled with God's presence, filled with God's power. A vessel goes to a, a world in need and he empties himself giving the word of the Lord. 
That is what every one of you should be doing. Ministry is not a platform thing. The platform is about equipping. Ministry is about your life. You being full of the word and going into a parched and barren land and emptying yourself to the thirsty, bringing life. This is the point of God with us. This is the point of a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So while the sons of Eli live lives of debauchery in Shiloh, what is Samuel doing? Well, the Bible uh, shows us in, in several places what the work of uh, the priesthood w- was. And remember, uh, Samuel is unique. He has an anointing upon him of both the priest and the prophet. These are usually opposing roles. The priest is usually representative of the ultimate insider, and the prophet is usually representative of the ultimate outsider. And they serve as a balance one to another because they can see uh, the weaknesses and the temptations that are on the other side. And so you you'll see all through the Bible, the prophet is normally rebuking the backslidden priesthood, do you see? And the priesthood is supposed to represent the word of God to the people, do you see? So you have a balance, as it were, this giving and taking. Uh, Why does the prophet not have the same role of teaching the people? Because they're an outsider. They haven't the same standing. Read the prophets. They tend to speak to the priesthood. It's the priesthood who are supposed to bring the word of God to the people. I know I'm off into some Bible, but I love to teach the Bible, so y'all bear with me here for a moment. And so here, while Hophni and Phinehas and the two younger brothers are living uh, lives of debauchery uh, in uh, Shiloh, the place where God set his name at the first, the place where the Shekinah glory of God is between uh, the cherubs on the altar of covenant in this place, they are using status to increase their opportunities for the lust of the flesh. This is a mockery of everything that God stands for. And what is Samuel doing? He's not in charge there. The Bible says it's through Samuel that the word of God comes to Israel. There's a whole tradition in that. Samuel is going from hamlet to hamlet, from village to village, from city to city, doing the work of the priesthood. Through Samuel, the word of God came to the people. Let me show you a couple other passages real quick that show that this was one of the roles, important roles of the priesthood when they were not involved in one of the formal uh, feasts that happened at uh, the tabernacle. So 2 Chronicles 17, you see the story of Jehoshaphat, who was a good king of Judah. And in the third year of his reign, he sends out Levites. They taught in all of Judah, and they had the book of the law of the Lord with them and went about through all the cities of Judah and taught the people with the book of God in their hands. This is the role of the Levites. They go and they teach the people. Uh, Also, another good king, Hezekiah. This is 2 Chronicles 30. They uh, sent, uh, he sends out the Levites and says, who taught the good knowledge of the Lord. Isn't that a, a beautiful way to say that? They go to the people, they teach the good knowledge of the Lord. And so what is the role of this young man? While they're partying in Shiloh using God to fulfill the lusts of the flesh, he's teaching the people. And so when God sends him to anoint somebody, the people know who he is. He's not just somebody off in Shiloh. They know who he is. And a day will come. First it will be Saul, and then a day will come when it's David. He will come and he will anoint these men to lead the house of Israel. This is ministry. Samuel seeking after God. There's a party going on in Shiloh. It's a party of the flesh. It represents the lust of the flesh. Samuel could be a part of it very easy. In fact, if he would just relax a little bit, maybe he could indulge a little bit. But what is he seeking? He's not seeking what Hophni and Phineas are. I want to say this to myself. Just because I'm in the house of God doesn't mean I'm seeking God. I can be here for many reasons. All of you who are here today, let me say to you, since I beat up on me first, just because we're in the house of God doesn't mean we're seeking God. Being in Shiloh is not enough. I need to hear the voice of God in my life. 
Knowing how to say amen is not enough. I need the voice of God speaking in my life. If I don't make time for God, there won't be time for God. If I don't make place for God, there won't be place for God. I can't just stamp a label and say, oh, I went to church 2.3 times last month, and that's enough for me. No, I am wanting to know who he is, not just the house of God. I want to know the God of the house of God. And so you get back to Jesus turning to disciples and saying, who are you looking for? What are you looking for? What do you desire? Uh, And so uh, a day will come uh, that the corruption that's in the house of Israel, because uh, corruption always destroys, uh, whether it's politics, whether it's empire, democracy, republic, uh, whatever it is, uh, it always, uh, dictatorship, corruption always destroys, because what corruption does is it allows you to keep your vanity while you lose your virtues. Um, This is, I think, probably the most damning historical assessment of this principle is uh, written by Edward Gibbons, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. So if we have any minor history nerds and you haven't read that, it's available on audiobook. It's fascinating, although it can be a bit long, just so you know, you were warned. And uh, yes, I have read it. I've read it twice. But moving along for the nerds. Um, I, I hear you have this reality that what made them an empire is not what's being practiced. And so they still think they are the people who built the empire, but they've lost all the virtues of building. Do you see? They keep all the vanities. They lose all the virtues. That happens in the house of Eli. That happens in Shiloh. They keep the vanity. Oh, I'm the son of the high priest. I, they keep the vanity. I officiate the feast. They keep the vanity. I take the offerings before the Lord. They keep the vanity. I bring fire to light this offering unto the Lord, but they lose the virtue. They want something else from it. They still have it, but they want something else. They still have it, but they want something else. This is how the mighty fall. They still have it, but they want something else. This restlessness begins to work in there. There was a day when all you needed to hear was amazing grace, and you were ready to lift your heart up and praise and worship to the Lord. But now, if they don't have the chord of the piano player just right, then you don't can't really get much out of church. There was a day when whenever it was an opportunity for you to, to spend time in the presence of God, you were hungry, but now, honestly, as long as the new show isn't out on Netflix, you know, uh, you'll spend some time with, you get what I'm saying. This is the path of humanity. We still go through a type of a, a habit or a system, but what we want is something different, God. Help all of us to be renewed in our spirit. What are we hungry for? What are you looking for? Uh, this world will not give you what you are looking for because what you are looking for is a moving target. Some part of you knows that you were created by the eternal one. Some part of you knows that you have a calling beyond simplicity of the flesh upon you. You have a destiny that is more than how well your 401k uh, is doing this year. Hopefully it's doing better than mine. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, I want you to see I want you to know, I want you to perceive that we must continually rebuild the altar and say, God, I am hungry to know you. I want to know you. If that means I take a road of blessing, then I am willing to walk a road of blessing. Of course, who is it? But that also means if I need to know you in the fullness of struggle, if I need to know you in the fullness of suffering, then Lord, uh, to know you is why I live. They've lost that in Shiloh. And so a day will come when they need leadership. This is a day where the Philistines smite them on the battlefield. Um, I'm almost done. Musicians, you can come and play. Um, the, the, the Philistines smite them on the battlefield. The Philistines haven't been a problem for a generation. They were defeated by Samson. They haven't been a problem for 20-something years. And uh, here's the thing about every problem you're not dealing with while you're not dealing with it is growing. <laughs> I can say that to myself. Every problem I am not dealing with will be bigger tomorrow than it is today. 
And so let me challenge all of you to look in the mirror of your life and say this to yourself. Every problem I am not dealing with is going to be stronger tomorrow than it is today. Uh, and so while they are partying in Shiloh, the Philistines are growing in strength. And now they need not a form of God. Now they need the strength of God. You see, the strength of God is in, do you hear me? The strength of God is in the presence of God, not the symbol of God, do you see? And so when they are at this moment of needing uh, God to make them strong, they haven't a relationship with God, so what do you substitute when you don't have a relationship with God? You substitute a symbol, which is another form of idolatry. Yes! And so they bring the Ark of the Covenant to the battlefield. At first, the Philistines are impressed by this because that's how they worship their God, symbol and idol. Uh, they don't seek to know the God. They don't believe they can know the God. They honor the symbol of the God in lieu of seeking to know God. And so they at first are fearful, but uh, they soon realize that God isn't with the Israelites, even though the symbol is. I'm going to say that again. I want you to think about it. The Philistines quickly learn that God isn't with the children of Israel, even though the symbol of God is. Remember in the story of the New, in the New Testament where uh, someone wants to buy this Holy Ghost from the Apostle Paul? He's like, let me make you a good offer and we'll buy this, this Holy Ghost from you. Uh, uh, there's another story where an individual sees the authority that is uh, on the apostles and he decides that he is going to cast out some devils himself because he thinks that because the apostle said it with a certain tone of voice that the power is in the tone of voice, do you see? He thinks that if he can preach like him, then he'll have the power. He thinks if he can imitate him, and so then he thinks, if I use the name like he used the name, then I'll have the power. And what does the man do? He goes and tries to cast out a devil. And what do the devils do? They put a beating on him. You see, whether or not we know God, the devil often knows more than we do. And that's why fronts work well with simple people, but they never work well with spirits. Because spirits see through bluffs. And so the enemy sees through the symbol. And they say, we were scared, but then when we fought, we saw the symbol, but we didn't feel the strength. They saw the symbol, but they didn't feel the strength. God, give us real spiritual strength to make a difference in our community. Give us real spiritual strength, and we know that is in your presence, Lord. When you are with us, we fight with your strength. When you carry us, we speak with your authority. And so uh, this is where they lose the ark. The news comes to Eli. Eli, in his distress, falls off of his chair, and the Bible says he was uh, old and he was very heavy, and uh, he broke his neck when he fell, and thus comes an end of the seeking. Well, let me say it differently, because the seeking of God had ended a long time before in Shiloh. Uh, the place where God set down his name in Shiloh, that place of authority and anointing comes to an end. And the ark, the presence of God, moves into a, a season of being lost to the people of God until David will bring it back, shouting and dancing before it, wearing a linen ephod as though he were a priest, shouting out his zeal and passion before the Lord as the ark of the covenant is brought back to the house of Israel. He is not a product of Shiloh, as David is not a product of Shiloh. Um, David is a product of the ministry of Samuel. And so there is this transition. Remember, I told you, of was it four or five big transitions that are happening all in this moment? And it is here that a whole new path of seeking after God. And uh, yes, in Shiloh, in Shiloh, they, they're seeking to use God to pursue the flesh. They're seeking to use God against God's will. The, the best example of this, I wasn't intending to get into this, but let me just touch it and keep moving. How 
how did Hophni and Phinehas die? The Bible says they offered strange fire unto the Lord. Um, and uh, there, there's a, a lot of uh, historical mystery in this. But remember, there was a divine given order on how to do it and how to serve and how to honor the Lord. Uh, that had been given through Moses. And they knew how to do it. And this uniqueness of strange fire, uh, there is uh, various uh, commentators and his, uh, scholars and biblical historians on this issue. But one thing that I think is a an interesting possibility that is expressed by various commentators is what they did um, to not to, to offer strange fire was actually to try to combine uh, the fire that was offered to other gods that surrounded them, gods that had these specific attributes. Remember, uh, God will not call himself any one thing. Uh, he is above all, and he is uh, only one. Hero Israel, remember the Shema. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one, and him only. That's why it's against the polytheism, many gods, because many gods is where human evil goes to hide. If you want to be angry, you just find an angry God. You don't have to worry about what's actually right. Uh, if you want to be a thief, you find a God of thieves. If you want to go to war, you find a God of war. And so you play gods against each other, and there is no right or wrong. And the Lord says, no, there is a right or wrong. And so what? Don't have time to teach that. Let me keep moving. And so, and so here you have this image of them, say, wanting, perhaps, wanting. Uh, we'll go to Astaroth, this god that is a god of fertility, and we'll take fire from their offering, and we'll bring that into the house of God, and we'll combine the offering to that deity to Yahweh, the only righteous. And when they do this, God cannot stand it. God cannot stand it. And he smites them in his own house. That's not how Hophni and Phinehas passed. Um, this is, this is uh, showing you how Shiloh comes to an end and out of Shiloh will come all these transitions and uh, out of the life of Samuel comes an individual surrounded by immorality done even in the name of God, surrounding by lust of the flesh done in the name of God, surrounding by error. And what does he decide? He decides, I am going, he's not in charge. He's not in charge, but he decides, I'm going to ignore all this business going on around me, and I'm going to do what I've been called to do. And so while they're running and partying and playing and making a mockery of God, he's going from town to town, village to village, carrying the word, good word of God in his hand, teaching the people. And the Bible says that's how the word of the Lord came to Israel. And so I ask all of us as I conclude, we cannot become such professional Christians that we stop seeking the God of this house. We cannot become so orderly in our lives and so organized in our Sunday go to meet clothes. <laughs> so organized in our security in our career and in our blessing this and insurance that we cannot get so point so comfortable with all of that that we stop seeking the presence of God we must hunger for the presence of God blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled how about this one in the day that you seek me you shall find me. Stand with me all across this house. If we serve the flesh, what we seek will be the things of the flesh. If we serve wealth, what we seek will be the things of wealth. There's a difference in wealth and blessing. <laughs> wealth is what you save up over time and effort. Blessing is what God empowers you to accomplish. And your talents are part of God's creative work in you. 
your career, all of that's part of that. That's another Bible study we'll do sometime. But God wants you to be blessed because that is a testimony of God. But is it a lust of your desire or is it a testimony of God's blessing in your life? Do you see? Do you see? I want all of you to, if I can, if the Lord would help me, I, I wish when I get on themes like this and subjects like this, I wish I was the best preacher in the world and I'm so far from that, but I wish I was because this is the thing. This is the thing. Get your grandma finger out and pour it at your neighbor and say, this is the thing. What are you hungry for? What are you seeking? What are you seeking? What are you hungry for? What are you seeking? If you will seek me, the Lord says, you will find me. What are you seeking? God's making it easy for us. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus stands by the woman at the well and, uh, and he says to her, God is seeking such. God is seeking such. Lift your hands all across the house and tell the Lord you're hungry for him. Lord, we want to know you. We want to walk with you. I feel the presence of the Lord in this house today. I'd like to invite all of you to step out of the chair you're in right now. And I'd like to ask you to come down here to the front, lift your hands as you come and tell the Lord how hungry you are. Would you do that right now all across the sanctuary? Lord, I am so hungry for you. I am so hungry for you. I desire you. I desire you. I desire you. First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.